You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. This week, we're continuing last week's conversation titled Intention. And last week, for those of you who were not here, uh, just doing a recap, we talked about this tension between our intentions and God's actions and how sometimes this disparity of what, what we intend to do and God's actions causes us to judge what we perceive to be God's actions according to our intentions, according to what we want to see happen. Now, we talked about the implications of that, the implications of this dynamic as we pursue God because the natural tendency when you apply that kind of attention to God's abilities, is for you to try to convince God and to hone in his power, hone in his abilities, and make sure that what he can do aligns with what you want. Now, in doing that, inadvertently and and not obviously intentionally, we disregard his heart. Because what we do is we try to convince God of what we want because we want it so badly We want it so badly that we pursue God and say, God, can you do this for me? And if we keep, if that's the extent of our relationship with God, if that's as far as our relationship with God goes, it's not a relationship that's going to thrive. It's not a relationship that's going to produce good fruit. It's a relationship that's going to shrink. It's going to shrink and dwindle to the point that's going to become a series of Hail Mary passes. Basically, you're going to try to do everything you can in your own strength, And when you have exhausted all your options, then you will get into that prayer box, that petition box, that God box. And you're going to say, all right, God, can you please do this for me? And if he does it, all right. If he doesn't, you just move on and you go about your life. Now, we encourage you to flip it, to change that. And to instead of saying, God, I know you are all powerful. I know you are almighty. Can you do my will? We do, God, we know you're all-powerful, but here's my abilities. Here's what I can do. Here's the power that you have given me, which is so minuscule compared to your power, but I place it in your hands. That is truly trusting God. When instead of saying, God, do what I will, you can say, God, here's my life. Do what you will. Now, that was last week. This week, we're going to talk about another point of tension we are in constantly. I want to talk to you about the tension between knowing and doing. There's a disparity between our knowledge of what's right and our actions. And some of you here, you feel like you're alone in this. You feel like you might be the only person in the world who most of the time you know the right thing to do. But your actions don't quite measure up to your knowledge. Let me me put you at ease. We're all in this. We're all at fault in this. This is part of the human condition. We know most of the time the right thing to do. Most of the time we know what we should do, but our actions don't always line up. Now, we deal with this. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you're an atheist, a theist, if you're young, if you're old. We all deal with this tension. We all have this tension on the inside. And this is a universal truth for every human being on the planet. Now, scriptures shed some light on this. And Paul wrote to the Romans saying this. He said, for when the Gentiles 
who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. A lot of thought has been given on whether human beings are innately good or innately bad. And what Paul is saying is this, listen, the people who did not grow up like you and I, the Gentiles, which basically means, Gentile means non-Jew. So in this room, maybe 90% of us are non-Jews, so we're Gentiles, maybe less, maybe more. Unless you have Jewish blood in you, you're a Gentile. He's saying even those people who did not grow up with our tradition, who do not have the heritage of Abraham in their lives, who did not grow up with stories of the desert, the 40 years in the desert, who did not receive the law of Moses, who did not grow up hearing about the Ten Commandments, they do not have the law of God. And they should be free of all the condemnation. They should be free to do whatever they want. But they are accused in their conscience of what's right and what's wrong. There is a law written in their hearts. He's basically shedding light and saying, God has put his law in every single person's heart. And we know when we do something right and we do something wrong. Now, this is an interesting thing because he brings in this dynamic between doing and action too. Because further, when he's talking about himself in that same book, he says this, For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want to do. That's what I keep on doing. Now, let's bring it to you and I. How many times when you are faced with a decision, when you were faced with an action that you had to take, you knew in your mind the right thing to do. You knew the right course of action. But something, something drove you to make a different decision. And then you realize, man, that was a mistake. I knew better than doing that. I bet you're not alone in that as well. Now, what that tells us is that we have some kind of standard on the inside. Every human being does. And Paul is not the only person writing this. Many people, many thinkers, many writers, Christian and non-Christian actually, have talked about this standard that human beings have of behavior, this standard of right and wrong. And not only that, not that each person has a standard, is that for the large part, the standard is the same. Most of us carry that within us. C.S. Lewis wrote about this, and he said this, Human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave a certain way and cannot get rid of it. Now think about this. Think about a time where you lost your temper, where you said things that you didn't mean to someone you cared for or a coworker, somebody you live with. Think about a moment where you, you said hurtful things. You just went off and you went way beyond the line and you, you lost it. Basically, you lost it. And after things cooled off, I can tell you a couple of things that might have happened, most likely. You realize, you felt bad about it. You realize, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that. But then the next step is this. You probably came up with excuses. You probably, you probably thought it over and you thought, well, that happened because fill in the blank. That happened because it was provoked. Had it not been provoked, that wouldn't have happened. That happened because I was hurt. You might not admit in public, but in your heart, you're like, I was hurt. That's why that pushed me, pushed me over the edge. That's why I reacted the way I reacted. Or maybe it's a little bit simpler. 
You were hangry, right? Anybody here gets hangry? In our family, we have a, a child, one of our three children that gets hangry. My wife raised her hand, so I'm not going to say where they get that from. <laughs> but <laughs> one of our uh, three children, uh, she would start crying out of nowhere. Like everything is fine, and she would start like crying and complaining. And for a moment there, I'm like, I've got to rebuke some spirits <laughs> off of this child. <laughs> Spirit of discontentment in the name of Jesus, he call you out. No, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. Maybe a couple of times. No. <laughs> no, but then we realize, give her a snack and she'll be fine. All right, I don't know where I was going with this. But think about <laughs> that time. You came up with an excuse. Now, the fact that there are excuses that come up in your mind tells you two things. First, the fact that you had to excuse it tells you that if you had the ability to go back to that situation... You wouldn't have done it. So you realize that that was wrong, that that was not the proper course of action. And the second thing, which is also C.S. Lewis' idea, is this. We only find excuses for the things we consider faults. Think about that. If you ever lost your temper with someone you love, someone you care for, you find excuse for that fault. You find excuse for things in your life that you consider faults. You don't find excuses for things you consider virtue. If you give someone a gift that's generous and someone tells you it was so generous, thank you so much for doing that. You don't go at them and say, no, 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 wait a minute. That only happened because I was not provoked. I was only kind to you because I was not provoked. Provoke me and you will see the real me. No, that's not the real me. No. If you are kind to somebody, let's say you go out of your way to help someone. And they say, that was so kind. Thank you for doing that. You don't go up to them and say, oh, no, 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 listen, I was well fed this morning. That's what made it. That's why I was kind to you. No, we own it. We say, yeah, that's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of person I'm, I'm, I am. That's the kind of person I want to project. Now, as far as our mistakes, we will go back and say, oh, no, that's not really me. I'm sorry. I, sh I, I know better. No, no. I don't know what got into me, but that's not really me. And so long as we keep that dynamic of excusing our faults and appropriating our virtues, what is happening is that we perpetuate this tension. We will continually live in this tension unless we do what the scripture tells us to do. One more thing that will make you realize that this is a human condition. I had the opportunity to go to Africa, Alini too. We went on separate trips. And both of us, at the end of the trip, we led these trips in uh, we had the opportunity to bring our team to a safari. It's kind of like you work for two weeks, and since you're in Africa, let's extend the trip for a day or two so we can go see the animals, right? So we went to a safari in Kenya. I went to a safari in Kenya with our team. And we, the big idea was to see the big five, right? An elephant, hippo, a rhino, a giraffe, and the lion. But what we really wanted to see is a kill. That's what we wanted to see. We were in the Serengeti, uh, Masai Mara, and we got in the car in the morning, and we asked, the, the, we asked the guide, the tour guide, how can we see a kill? He said, well, you got to go really early. You got to go right at dusk before the sun comes up because that's when the animals uh, go to feed, to find their prey. So we did that. We got out there, and we missed it. We couldn't see a lion. The lion is the one we wanted to see. But we did see a leopard feeding her cubs. She had just... She had just prepared the meal, if you know what I'm saying. 
and she's feeding her cubs. This is what I did not see right there in the wild in Africa. I did not see her cubs perplexed looking at her with disbelief that she would kill another animal. I didn't see the leopard feeling bad about herself that she committed such an atrocity to kill another animal. She filled her belly, fed her cubs, found a shady spot, and we saw her just slowly going to the shade, laying down, and go sound asleep. Now, everywhere in the world, if that happened between humans, the general consensus, aside from the rare exceptions, the general consensus is that is wrong. When you hurt a human being, that's wrong. When you lie, that's wrong. When you cheat, that's wrong. When you, when you cause violence, that's wrong. That's the general consensus around the world. This is a tension that we live in between our knowing and our doing. And Scripture shed light into this. Scripture shed light on the fact that we all have the ability to love and to hate. We have the ability to unite and to divide. We all have the ability to bless and to curse. In fact, I think that's in large part the reason why we are in the current climate we're in in our country. Because of this tension, every person has the ability within the same frame of time to bless somebody and to curse somebody. We have the ability within the same frame of time to love someone and to hate someone. And we live in this dynamic. But if we apply the principles that we find in Scripture, if we apply the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ in light of his message, in light of his principles, we can walk through fire and not get burned. We can walk through fire and not even smell like smoke. If we apply and live by the words of Jesus, we can live in chaos but have no chaos in our lives. We can live through difficult times but not have difficulty in our hearts. This is something that we can do. So what is the solution? How do we reconcile this conflict that we have, this tension that we live in? Jesus said this in Luke 9, verses 23 and 25. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? What Jesus is saying is this. It starts with you. It starts with me. Recognizing this dynamic. Recognizing that we have this ability. Recognizing that we live in this tension. It starts with you and I. And I love what Jesus asks in that question. I love, I love the hypothetical that Jesus was so wise, man. He says, what if you gain the whole world? In other words, what if everything goes your way? What if everything goes according to plan? What if you build, you build a company? What if you get the degree? What if you make the money? What if you buy the house? What if you get the cars? What if you get the guy? What if you get the girl? What if you do all that you're supposed to do? This is a little bit of a hyperbole here, right? What if everything goes according to your plan and you're the luckiest guy in the world and you get to the end of your life and you did not impact yourself? You didn't change yourself. You were able to change the world, change every single part of your life around you, but you weren't able to move. Some of those things that you battle with, would it be worth it? Would it be worth 
to conquer the world and lose your soul? Would it be worth to have it all and get to the end of your life and still be battling with some of those issues that you were battling in infancy, in youth? Still having to fight that addiction, still having to fight that depression, still having to fight fear. Would it be worth it? It's challenging, isn't it? But it's good when our relationship with God challenges us and pushes us a little bit. And Jesus' solution, through his grace, is this. Surrender. Jesus' solution is surrender. you got to surrender your life. Your victory in this fight, your victory in this tension is surrender. You surrender your heart. You surrender your mind. You surrender your soul over. Not to the thing that's fighting you. Not to the things that try to steal your soul. Not to sin. Not to the things that are trying to destroy you. Surrender your life over to the one who loves you. To the one who give, gave his life to you. You surrender to the cross. So you can receive forgiveness and you can receive redemption. Now, most of us here, we comprehend, we understand, and we live in forgiveness. We can embrace forgiveness. We understand forgiveness. But I want to encourage you today to expand your commitment, to expand your devotion into the realm of redemption. The difference between forgiveness and redemption is this. Forgiveness is for your actions, for what you have done, the mistakes you have made, the things that you have done in the past. It's for what you do. Now, redemption, it's for your nature. It's for who you are. The word redemption means freedom. It means liberation. And it means liberation from this nature, this thing that causes us to make the wrong choice when we know the right choice to make. God made it easy for us. He put his law in our hearts. And if we are able to hone in and silence all the other voices, if we're able to surrender our life over, he can guide us into the life that we're meant to live, we are to surrender. Now, how do we do it? How do we surrender daily? Because remember, he said, you got to take up your cross daily. This is not the salvation prayer you prayed 10 days ago or 10 years ago. This is the process of redemption, the daily process of redemption. How do you surrender daily? Well, aside from the spiritual disciplines that we know to practice, which is community with God, prayer, reading the scriptures, there's one thing that is crucial and vital because this part of our lives affect how we relate to others more than anything. More than anything, this tension, this dynamic between knowing and doing affect our relationships. And if you think about this, everything you've accomplished, everything you've done, everything you were able to learn or accomplish in your lives involved other people. You either learned from other people or you affected other people or you partnered with other people. It involved relationships. And to that light, Jesus said this in Luke 6.31. And if you're not a Christian, you might be surprised that this is in the Bible, that these were the words of Jesus. But he said this, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. I want you to pause for a minute here and imagine what our world would look like if this simple sentence was applied around the world. Imagine how many relationships would not have suffered. Imagine how many prisons would not have been built. Imagine how many wars would not have happened. Imagine how many things we could have avoided 
if we were able to practice this simple principle of doing unto others what we wish to ourselves. Now, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it takes effort. It takes intention. And it has to do with action. Now, before I move on, when we say that action is what makes a difference, right? Because this is the implication here. Do unto others what you wish um, that others would do to you. When you say that that action brings the difference, it might be implied that by acting that way, you are redeeming yourself. Basically, the question is, well, to put it simply, can my good choices wipe out my bad choices? If I, if I make good decisions, if I choose good more than I choose bad, will that outweigh my bad decisions? And does that, does that mean I'm a good person? It might shock you, but the, 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 what we learn from Scripture, the straight answer is no. It's not really, that's not really the purpose of that passage, and I'll explain why. Because the beauty of the message of Jesus, the power of the Word of God, the power of Jesus' ministry on the earth is not that Jesus healed. It's not that Jesus multiplied food. It's not that Jesus died on the cross. It's not even that Jesus rose again. That is not the most powerful and impactful thing that caused this movement to last all this time. That caused the church to be unbreakable and unbeatable. What caused it is the fact that Jesus healed others for their sake. That Jesus multiplied the bread, not to show how powerful he was and say, look at what I can do. But because people were hungry and he felt compassion for them. And it was a step in their direction. He did that to serve them. It's not that Jesus died on the cross. It's that he died for you. It's that he died for me. Is that having no fault of his own, he said, I will take your fault. I will take your excuses. I will take your faults into my life and I will die for them. I will suffer the shame of your mistakes for you. And it's not that he rose again to show how powerful he is, that he can beat death. No, he did it for you so you and I could have community and relationship with God, so you and I could have the Holy Spirit, and so you and I could be redeemed, so our nature could be redeemed, so we wouldn't have to struggle to fight anymore, but we could be completely and totally restored. That's what's powerful about the ministry of Jesus and Christianity. And here's the reason why doing things for others to wipe out the bad that we do doesn't work. Because it's still about ourselves. If we're doing something good to make sure that we are good, we're not doing it to them. We're doing it to us. Now, what Jesus is saying is this. Listen, I have taken care of your situation. You don't have to work for status with people anymore because you have gained a status with God. You don't have to earn your status with others by your actions because you have already been justified by my action. What you can do is this. You are free to bless others. You are free to reach out and to make the right decision for the sake of others. And that simple exercise will help us surrender our lives to God and to his plan for us. Now to close... Paul expands on that idea, and he says this. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. That's a wonderful promise, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen. Our deposit in other people's lives should be measured by our longing of what we want from them. And what God is saying is this. We should act in a way that will make people scratch their heads and go like, I did not deserve this. And we can do that because he did something for us that we didn't deserve. So Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he has not done himself. And my encouragement to you today is to look at your possi uh, the possibilities that you have around you. Look at your life, at those that surround you. Look at those that you can impact, that you can influence. And look at this scripture as an opportunity. Because we have been saved. Because we have been forgiven. Because we have been redeemed. We get to bless another. We get to rejoice with those who rejoice. We get to weep even with those who weep. We can be there for our friends. We can be there for people. That's solidarity. We get to do this. We get to live in harmony. We get to live in peace. And we have been given a recipe to overcome evil. Don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. 